Hello everybody and welcome back to reading and evaluating the Demond Brothers or hyper-Catholicism at large. Now we're going to get to their section on the papacy and the irony concerning that because these are set of a contests who believe that Pope Francis is an illegitimate usurper of the chair of St. Peter and therefore there is no Pope. They are currently protesting the changes Rome has made, well, pretty similarly to the way that we Lutherans have been protesting Rome since 1517. But they want you to believe in some Popes, not all the Popes. Not the recent ones, anyway. But here is their section on the Bible teaches that Jesus made St. Peter the first Pope. Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter in Matthew 16. Reading from Matthew 16, verses 16 through 19. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter, and declares that whatsoever he binds on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever he looses upon earth shall be loosed in heaven. Even though all twelve disciples are gathered together for this meeting, Jesus says these things only to St. Peter. Now that's more Demond Brother style deception right there, because Jesus doesn't only say that to St. Peter. Yes, they might point out that St. Peter was the first to hear this. But just two chapters later, Matthew 18, what does our Lord Jesus say to the disciples? Remember, chapter 18, verse 1 says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he even brings in a kid. And who does he say to everybody in that crowd? Starting in verse 15, If your brother sins against you, Go, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, question for you. Is St. Peter so, so, so special if the rights that Christ gave to him in chapter 16 are basically immediately given to every disciple of Christ? The answer is no. Maybe St. Peter has the distinction of receiving this first, but that distinction is akin to Mary being the first Ark of the New Covenant. Yes, Mary being Theotokos carries the Christ child whose blood is the New Covenant within her. So do we, because we take the Eucharist, Christ's blood of the New Covenant, 
dwells within every believer. You and I are arcs of the new covenant. And we know this because God's presence is with us the same way God's presence was with the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. Mary, being the first, deserves honor, sure. But that doesn't mean you pray to her. That doesn't mean that she has intercessory power over you or for you. In the same way, St. Peter receiving the office of the keys first does not mean that only St. Peter or only the papacy has it, assuming, of course, that the Roman Catholic Church is correct in the tactile apostolic succession of the guy who put the hands on the guy who put the hands on the guy who put the hands on the guy, etc., and so forth. St. Peter had the power of the keys first, and then all of Christ's disciples had the power of the keys. This is why St. James tells us in James chapter 5 to confess our sins to one another. James chapter 5 verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It must be real forgiveness if God looks at somebody's confession and the absolution that their layman brother in the church pronounces over them, and he goes, wow, I'm going to heal that guy. There must be real forgiveness there that is not reserved for the clergy only. But you see, for the demand brothers, that means he's the guy. Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The Greek word for this, as in this rock, is the demonstrative pronoun taute. It means this very rock, or this same rock. Taute is used when it is desired to call attention with special emphasis to a designated object whether in the physical vicinity of the speaker or the literary context of the writer. In the King James Version, Taute is translated as the same in 1 Corinthians 7.20 and this same in 2 Corinthians 9.4. Therefore, Jesus' statement to Peter has this meaning, Thou art Peter, and upon this very rock I will build my church. From the context given, this rock naturally refers to Peter. It just so happens that Jesus also changes his name from Simon to a name which means rock. But we will see more on this point in a bit. Now let's get into that now because the Demond brothers are going to attempt to in before my objection. You see the name Peter is Petros in the Greek and the rock upon which the church is built is Petra. Peter is given a masculine name the rock on which the church is built is feminine. What's their excuse for that? Well, first the words Petros and Petra had the same meaning, rock, in the Greek, which was used at the time of Christ, ignoring the masculine and feminine problem here. In some much earlier ancient Greek poetry, Petros meant small stone and Petra meant large rock. But that slight distinction had already disappeared by the time Matthew's Gospel was written in Greek. The minor distinction between Petros and Petra only exists in Attic Greek, not Koine Greek. You know the Greek that came from Attic Greek? Mm, okay. The Gospel was written in Koine Greek, 
in which both Petros and Petra meant rock. Moreover, there was a word for stone which Jesus could have used. It's lithos. If Jesus wanted to call Peter a stone, but not the rock, he would have used lithos. But he did not. He used Petros, which means rock. But if there is an equation between Peter and the rock, why then are two different Greek words used? The answer is found in the very important fact that Jesus spoke in Aramaic, not in Greek. Are you sure, Mr. DeMond? Are you sure Jesus didn't speak Greek? You know, our Savior who quotes from the Septuagint? The DeMond brothers get so desperate in their hope that you ignore these uh, masculine and feminine distinctions that they go to the French. Hon, hon, hon. This is also captured in French translations of this passage, which say, Tu es pierre, et sustite pierre. Okay. Matthew didn't write in French. And Christ had Matthew writing in Greek. If he wanted Matthew to say rock and rock as kepha, you know, the Aramaic word for it, assuming that Christ only spoke Aramaic ever. He only learned one language despite, you know, being the God of the entire universe. He could have had Matthew say, you are kepha. And in the Greek, we would say Petras. St. Matthew had no problem mentioning when our Lord Christ spoke in Aramaic, distinguishing that from his other words in Matthew 27, where Christ says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of contrition from the cross. That is a distinguishing moment when Christ decides to speak in Aramaic rather than in Greek. But this is more missing the forest for the trees. The DeMond brothers love to get into these tiny little details so you don't notice the big problems with the doctrines they are espousing. In their book, they go into supposed quotes from church fathers claiming that St. Matthew originally wrote in Aramaic. They get into the ideas of, oh, these Protestants said, uh, yeah, duh, Peter is the rock upon which the church is built. And they get into all these tiny little details missing the forest for the trees. If St. Peter is the rock on which the church is built, then Christ is not. If St. Peter is the foundation of the church, then Christ is not. God is not. The stone which the builders rejected, becoming the chief cornerstone, is no longer Jesus, that's Peter. Peter becomes the center of your faith. He becomes the foundation. Now, is the church built on St. Peter? We have to ask this question, because if I'm going to read a book saying the Bible proves the teachings of the Catholic Church, you need to answer it. Is St. Peter the foundation of my faith in the entirety of the church, or is my Lord Jesus Christ? Who established the church? St. Peter or Christ? Who do we believe in? Who died on the cross for me? Is it Christ or St. Peter? I'm going to say it's Jesus. You can believe whatever you want, but I'm going to say Jesus Christ and the holy gospel which he gave all of us is the foundation of the church. 
Otherwise, we would be preaching the gospel of St. Peter crucified for your sins, not Jesus. You know how I also know that? Let's go a bit further. Jesus says, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. News flash for you, even if but for a moment the gates of hell prevailed against St. Peter when he denied our Lord three distinct times, cursing up a storm in front of people, the gates of hell most certainly prevailed against him in that moment. If St. Peter was truly the rock upon which the entirety of the church was built, he would never have denied Christ, because the gates of hell would not have prevailed against him. Yet he did, therefore, St. Peter is named Rocky, or Man of the Rock, on account of his confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. His confession of who Jesus is and what Jesus means to us, he is our Savior, is the true rock upon which the church is built. Now, I can identify the rock upon which the church is built. I can do that. The DeMond brothers cannot. They want you to say that it is St. Peter, but they also confuse themselves, bringing up a whole bunch of other rocks. God calls Abraham the rock in the Old Testament. God is declared as the rock throughout the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy 32.4. But Abraham is also described as the rock in Isaiah 51, 1-2. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, he, God, is the rock. His work is perfect. Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2, Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father. Now I would debate whether or not Isaiah 51, 1 and 2 really mean that Abraham is the rock whence ye are hewn to the Israelites, but I digress. The Old Testament says, look to the rock, look to Abraham. Abraham is described as the rock because he was the father of all the Israelites. Abraham's name was changed from Abram to signify his role as rock and father of God's people. Wouldn't it be fitting then for Jesus to choose someone as the rock and father in the New Testament of the new Israel, the church? Yes, and that's why Simon's name was changed to Petros, which means rock. In light of this evidence, it should be totally obvious to everyone that St. Peter is the rock. So God is the rock. Abraham is the rock. St. Peter is the rock. Anybody is the rock except the confession of our Lord Jesus Christ because the DeMond brothers don't want a church built upon the proclamation of Christ, our Savior. They want, you know, Peter to be the guy. Now, it's really interesting that they say, oh, Peter is the father of the new Israel. Well, they would also say that Mary is the mother. Does this mean that there is a marriage between St. Peter and the Virgin Mary? Did Mary have a second husband? Somebody who, according to their faith, is also her child? Did Mary marry her son, St. Peter the Rock? Are we going to go that far with our typology? You've got a daddy, Peter, and you've got a mommy, Mary. 
and they were in the same places at the same time, which means at some point, maybe they exchanged nuptial vows. Are we saying that, Demond brothers? Or wait a second, Abraham is also called our father, according to faith in Romans chapter 4. So is this a weird polyandrist moment where the Virgin Mary is married to Abraham, to Joseph, and to St. Peter all at the same time? Are we saying that? Because they love to take their typology really, really far, don't they? So let's see if it goes all the way. It doesn't, of course. Because the DeMond brothers want to get into the weeds again regarding church tradition. Now I know what you're thinking. This book is called The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church by Brother Peter DeMond. Church fathers are not Bible. This is not the Bible proving the teachings of the Catholic Church. This is them bringing up church fathers who are not in the Bible. The only answer I can have to your question as to why they're doing this is either A, they understand that the Bible does not prove the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, or B, they think everything is the Bible if it supports the Roman Catholic Church's positions, or C, the DeMond brothers suffered a critical head wound that made them forget that they were writing a book called The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church. They quote from Tertullian, St. Cyril of Alexandria, St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory Nazianzen, and St. John Chrysostom all over the place. They quote St. Hilary Portiers. They quote all sorts of other people that were not in the Bible. News flash for you guys. The church fathers are not all they're cracked up to be, okay? They quote Hilary of Portiers contradicting himself. <laughs> they quote this because the idea is, oh man, these Protestants are objecting, saying that the rock upon which the church is built is the confession of Jesus as the Christ. But you can't separate the two. St. Hilary of Portiers said, this faith is the foundation of the church. Through this faith, the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. But then they say, oh, what they fail to tell you is that in the very same work, St. Hilary said that Peter was the foundation of the church. Blessed Simon, who after his confession of the mystery was set to be the foundation stone of the church and received the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wow, Mr. DeMond, not only did you bring up something that is not Bible, you embarrassed St. Hilary of Portiers by showing how he brought two mutually exclusive positions into one book. You have just demonstrated to me that this church father couldn't make up his mind, contradicted himself, so I can soundly ignore him and choose Jesus over St. Peter. Somebody is going to say that this is an unfair thing. It is not. Pick one, my audience, please. Who is the foundation of your faith? Jesus or St. Peter? Because the church is nothing without her faith. Your faith must be in something and on something. The gates of hell shall not prevail against this foundation and this church. Why? Because a gate of hell is a false doctrine. It is something that you go through to get to hell. 
If you hold to a soul-damning heresy, you have gone through a gate of hell. If you don't want to go to hell, you'd better hope you are in the correct church with the correct foundation. Now, you're going to have one foundation of your faith and of your church. It is going to be Christ, the one who has never failed, the one who has never seen a gate of hell prevailing against him, the one who has never tasted defeat at the hands of the devil, or it is going to be St. Peter who denied Christ. Yes, St. Peter was restored. Yes, he was brought back to faithful ministry. Sure, he wrote Bible. St. Peter's kind of a big deal, and I'll even grant that I believe he led the early church. But he denied Christ three times. Question for you again. Who are you going to say is your foundation? Jesus the Christ? Are you going to say that the gospel is the foundation upon which the church is built? Or are you going to say... That a man who fell to the gates of hell is your foundation. I know the DeMond brothers are going to say, I'm being unfair. I don't care. Pick one. Who is your savior? Jesus or St. Peter? Who is your rock? Who is the one that you rely on to make sure that the gates of hell do not snatch you up and destroy you? Are you going to rely on the living God or on a dead saint? St. Peter was martyred. He did not rise again from the dead. Not yet anyway, not until the resurrection of the dead upon the last day. He is in heaven at the throne room of God, placing his crown before our Lord God. He is there humbly singing God's praises at this very moment. That is where St. Peter is. And he is granted honor. Absolutely, the book of Revelation discusses having thrones for the apostles. His is one of the twelve. God grants a lot of honor to St. Peter and to the other apostles. They did wonderful things and praise God for them. We would not have a New Testament without them because they passed along what our Lord Christ gives us. But while he is in heaven, is he holding up the entirety of the church? Is he there underneath the Roman Catholic edifice holding up the church and defending it from all the gates of hell? I would wager no, because the Bible says he's in heaven right now. Even if the linguistic argument that the DeMond brothers say holds up, I don't care. Pick one. Who is your savior? Who is the foundation of your faith? As for me and my household, we are going to pick the one that St. Peter says is the only name under heaven by which men may be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth who died for my sins. Jesus whose gospel has never been defeated by the devil. We're going to pick that foundation, and I hope for the DeMond brothers' sake that they have done the same in spite of their goofy doctrines, which we're going to get into next week as uh, hopefully we get to see some fun mental gymnastics for why we should believe in a papacy that they don't believe in. But we'll get into that next week.
Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.